Business Women Rock, episode 32. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible business women. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. What's up, ladies? I'm so happy you're here. Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast. Oh my gosh, this is a very special Wednesday. You know why? Because it's Business Women Wednesday. Every single Wednesday, we highlight someone who is a part of our Business Women Rock community. If you are interested in being selected, if you're interested in being highlighted, all you need to do is go to bizwomenrock.com and find the Business Women Wednesday graphic, and you'll be able to fill out a form there to be able to submit all of your information. But I love highlighting all of you awesome ladies who are part of our community. Just kick butt business women. Today's Business Women Wednesday highlight goes to Shyla Jerkins. Now, Shyla is amazing, and she's a marketing manager in the casino industry. She has two beautiful daughters, and she's actually a musician in a bluegrass band. On top of that, she is an executive consultant for the Rodan Plus Fields dermatology line, and um, is just very involved in her community. And uh, Shyla, I just really want to say big congratulations on all the great work that you're doing out there. Keep on rocking it as a businesswoman. And one of these days, I might want to pick your brain about what actually really happens in the casino industry. Very, very fascinated about that. So let's get on with the show. My guest today is Renee Strickland, who is the founder of Strickland Ranch and Exports. I was so excited to talk to Renee during this conversation because I think that the ranching industry, the agriculture industry are something that your general business person um, does not know way too much about. And, um, And I was just so excited to be able to hear more about what goes on behind the scenes of her business. Renee oversees almost 3,600 acres in Florida and manages two separate businesses there. So it's a really fascinating story. I know you're going to love it. She is a total sweetheart with a very loving heart, very kind, and it was just such a pleasure to chat with her. So I know you're going to learn a lot from this. So turn up your volume. The interview starts now. Renee, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks, Katie. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have you here and to tell your story for a couple of reasons. The first is that I think the agricultural and the livestock industry as a whole is is really not one that's well known to the business community, even though it's such a foundational part of business in this country. So I'm really excited for you to shed a little bit of light on your particular industry and what you're doing. And I just think it's really fascinating that you are a ranch girl and that you're an animal girl. And I really want to get the story behind all that. So I, I want to start first and foremost with, you know, what is your background? What, How were you exposed to farming in the first place? Well, I was pretty fortunate. My father managed a very large ranch here in Florida. It was 90,000 acres. Yes, it was 90,000. Yeah. Wow. And, it, and we had about six. 16,000 head of cattle on the ranch. At the time, I was old enough to actually start working on the cow crew. And my dad let me work on the cow crew with the guys. And I ended up working on the cow crew for probably about two and a half, three years on and off throughout high school, the summer before I, I went to college. And 
you can get a lot of experience pretty quick um, working that number of cattle, and it was just a great experience. So I definitely was fortunate there. I started working, riding around with my dad on the ranch as a small kid, and you know, he taught me all kinds of things about you know grasses and weeds and how to fertilize and just all kinds of things to take care of the land so that you can you know produce better cattle as part of that experience, you were really learning kind of the behind the scenes business of farming, right? I really was because not only did I do that, my mom was the bookkeeper for the ranch. And by the time I was 12, she had taught me how to, I could actually do the payroll for the whole ranch. We had, I think 12 or 13 full-time employees that lived there. And, you know, I could do their paycheck and the bookkeeping, and, and it wasn't just a salary. They got X amount for rent, you know, for living in a house out there and then deduct their electricity. So I had all these little skills that were business skills at a pretty young age because I was interested in it and because I enjoyed it. And my mom and dad were sweet enough to share and, and let me learn these things. So did you really just transition into your parents' company, or what was your path to actually getting you to the ranch and the business that you have now? Mm, not quite so easy, actually, because they were managers and they didn't own it. My dad was a manager, mom's an employee, as bookkeeper and secretary. I got this great foundation from them, but this is probably something that's going to resonate with a lot of women. When I got to the point of college and career moves, I had to face the very harsh reality that no one was going to hire a woman, at least not here in Florida, as the ranch manager. Because I wanted to be just like my dad. I wanted to follow in his steps. And the only way at that time you could get that kind of position, and it's not necessarily a whole lot different now, is if you owned it or you inherited it or you were married into it. It just We're just maybe not that far along in the corporate world, but we're getting along much faster in agriculture, but we're probably very behind the times in agriculture as compared to the corporate world on that particular issue. And I had to face that fact because it just wasn't going to happen. And I, I kind of floated for a few years rather directionless because it was like giving up a dream. What else am I going to do with myself? And I floated for a little while. And there's a story that gets you from there to where I am now. <laughs> Okay, so you floated for a while, and, and then what happened? Like, how did you end up, it sounded like maybe you were, like, hellbound and determined to just go make it happen somehow. So how did you actually get about to owning your own place? During those floating years, I learned a nice trade title searching for real estate, because real estate's pretty big here in Florida. And I happened to be living early out in Louisiana, and I was working on a horse farm. I was really enjoying it, but I hurt my back. And I had to find something that wasn't physical. There was a job position available in town and it was for doing title searches for oil companies, for oil, gas, and mineral rights, which is big out there. And I got trained. I, I interviewed and said, I know nothing about this business, but it sounds interesting. You know, you're digging around in all these records in the courthouses and stuff. So I was trained by a really incredible woman an older lady that uh, had been in the business for many years. And she trained me very well. And I worked on a lot of really big, complex types of, of jobs out there. And I only worked out there for about a year before I moved back to Florida. So when I came back to Florida, the kind of title searches that were required here for real estate were actually very simple compared to what I'd done out in Louisiana. So I picked up the trade here in Florida. And after about four or five years of working for title companies, I 
kind of struck out on my own, and I started that business as an independent title searcher. And that's 20, 21 years ago. It turned out to be a great business, and I love it, and I still actually do title search. It was a great business until 2007 and the recession, and then the real estate world came to a screeching halt here in Florida, and so did my income. And that's what made me get into the exporting. But during that time, I got married. My husband already had some cattle. I had saved up enough money that I had bought maybe 35 head of cattle on my own with a, with a loan from farm credit. And we put our cattle together. And as my cattle business grew and made more money, we were able to put some of that money back into our, our cattle and to our ranch. And we could pay for more leases and better quality bulls and tractors and and equipment that we needed. And we just slowly grew our cattle ranch and our cattle business through his working in town as a county agricultural appraiser and me working with my title business. And then the exporting business actually came as a result of the recession. Can you walk us through exactly your two different businesses? Because sort of under this Strickland Ranch and exporting, you have two different viable businesses that each do something a little bit different but are complementary of one another. So can you walk us through both of those businesses? Sure. You're, you're absolutely right. We've got one name, but we really are two different businesses here. My husband and I have, both of us, our whole lives have been in the ranching business and the cattle business, and both our fathers before us, in fact, actually for fourth, fifth generation cattle ranchers on both sides of our families. So we pulled our cattle together and we have what is called a cow-calf commercial operation. And we keep cows and they stay with us for a very nice long time for many years and produce calves. And every year when their calf gets to be six to eight months old, the calf gets sold. Most of these calves all go out west and they go to feed lots and they eventually come back to you on your plate. So that's the less nice end of the business. I've got the pretty end of the business because we've got pastures and pastures and thousands of acres of beautiful cattle and right now little babies on the side and it's a lovely time of the year right now to see the moms and the little babies. And so we've got that end of the business and that's one business and it's a commercial business. And then there's my exporting business, which is really shipping livestock to countries all over the world. And I kind of started out in my backyard, which is the Caribbean, Central and South America, because I'm here in Florida, and that's kind of the closest area of buyers. And then in the past couple of years, it's branched out to the Middle East, and now I'm working over in some of the former Soviet Union countries and maybe fixing to get into uh, some of the Asian countries as well. And that's a completely different business because we're not actually selling my cattle or the cattle that my husband and I raise. We're actually usually selling registered cattle that are breeding stock. Or it might be horses, goats, sheep, pigs. I've shipped all of the above. So you're really the go-between, not necessarily for your own ranch full of cattle, but you're really the go-between for somebody who is interested in purchasing cattle or pigs or any type of livestock. You're kind of the broker for that, right? So you're helping them find it, ship it, or or sometimes they've already bought it, and then you're helping them ship it and get it to them, right? Yeah, I have two kinds of uh, clients. I have someone that has either already found what they're looking for and they need help getting it from wherever the we call it the farm of origin, wherever that farm or ranch is, 
and they need to help get it to whatever country and into their farm. And if, in that case, I'm strictly acting as an exporter, helping them get animals transported. And then the other kind of client, and the one that the ones that I usually am dealing with are people who call up and say, you know, I'd like to buy some sheep, and this is the breed, and this is how many I want. Can you help me? And I do. I go and find and source these and broker the deal, and then I handle everything from the time they go into what we call isolation and get tested and transported to whatever airport or, or seaport that they're going to go out of and until they get to their final destination. So what's so fascinating to me is sort of the underneath of that logistical transportation and finding that you're going through because you're really dealing with not only kind of the research and what livestock is qualified to be able to go to your buyer, but you're actually dealing with the transportation of that. So can you talk about maybe some elements that might be unknown to those of us who are not in this industry, can you give us some elements of what that entails? Because you're dealing with kind of mass transportation, you're dealing with international rules, you're dealing with animal regulations. I mean, what are some of those major components your average everyday business person who's not in this industry would not necessarily know about? Well, you're right. It actually entails an export of live animals. It actually entails a lot of people. There's a lot of paperwork. There's, and as you mentioned, the health regulations from each country are different. So when it, let's say cattle, for instance. Right now I'm going to ship some cattle to uh, Barbados. So their government requires certain tests on any cattle from the U.S. that are going to come to their island. And then my cattle that I'm going to ship to Uzbekistan in a month or so might have completely different health requirements. So it's kind of, you're dealing, a lot of times I'm dealing with the chief veterinarians of other countries. Sometimes I'm dealing with visas, buyers to get over and come look at animals before they buy them, things like that. So there's that portion of it, which is the international portion. And then there's when we get here, we've got logistics, not just logistics of the animals. A lot of times I'm dealing with logistics of my clients. A lot of times they land in JFK or some major airport, Miami in the United States. And then then I've got to get them from, you know, from here to there or different farms. Sometimes I'm taking them around myself, looking at different animals, different farms, kind of shopping, shopping trip. And there's that aspect of my business as well. And once they've purchased these animals, then the animals go into what we call isolation. They've got to be isolated from other animals. And then I'm dealing with whatever veterinarian is local that's going to be taking care of the health tests and drawing blood on these animals to send them to labs. So I'm directly dealing with those veterinarians. Then I'm dealing with the owners of the animals themselves. The times I'm actually typing up health papers myself so that I know that they're done perfectly and correctly because they're they're rather important. They get stamped by USDA variants. And there's also truckers. I, I line the truckers that, that haul these animals. And then we get to the port or the seaport, and I know people there, and I coordinate those folks and timing of everything. And the USDA does inspections on these animals. And there's a lot of people involved in these, but you might consider me the orchestrator. I do a lot of paperwork. I do a lot of phone calls, emails, and the last... 72 hours prior to an actual export are pretty much chaos and pandemonium of flying emails and texts and phone calls and, and, and timing. Timing is very critical in this business. 
this obviously is something that requires a lot of attention and you give it a lot of personal attention. So how many people are on your team, not only in this exporting business, but also in your ranch? How many people are on your team that are helping with this entire process? We start out solo. I'm kind of a, you know, as far as the, the employee staff, it's me, myself, and I, and a bookkeeper. And she keeps wow. the bookkeeping straight. And then we move on to, like I said, those last few hours of an export. All of a sudden now you've got drivers and veterinarians and door people at ports and ground crews at airports and quarantine facilities, USDA vets. There's a lot of people that are involved but they're not employees of mine. I do have a couple of guys. There's a young man that I send on ships by sea. If I'm sending animals by sea and they're going to either the Caribbean or Central or South America, I send him with these animals. He's their attendant. He takes care of them every day, makes sure that they have plenty of feed and that the water's good and clean and that they're safe and everybody's in good health. And he stays with them. He doesn't sleep with them on the ship. He's sleeping with the crew, but, you know, he's checking them several times a day. So he's someone that I employ kind of on a subcontractor's type basis when, when I have an export and need him. But as far as full-time employees, you're talking to her. Wow. That's it. That's incredible. <laughs> kind of same with our ranch. Yeah, our ranch is the same way. My husband and I take care of checking the cattle and stuff. But right now, today, we've got four cowboys out working cows and vaccinating and, and working our calves. It's, it's spring roundup time, so we you know, we get the calves in and work them, vaccinate them, and warm them. And I've got four guys out in the field right now that I should be with, <laughs> and uh, they're working cows right now. So we do employ people as we need them, but they're not full-time. Renee, what have been some of the major lessons that you've learned as somebody who is this orchestrator? Because you're dealing with so many different types of personalities. You're dealing with responsibilities, having to hold people accountable to those responsibilities. You're dealing with a lot of moving parts, and they're not small parts. Each of them in and of themselves are fairly sizable and huge in the in large scene of what you're doing. So what have been your tricks or what lessons have you learned all of these years really managing that whole process? I would say probably one of the first ones is uh, a lesson that goes back from my mother that be treating people with kindness. And I've sure found that to be the case in this business. Sometimes I'm dealing with some, I hate to say this, some real bureaucrat type. And when you start butting heads with some of these people, it doesn't work. And so I've always tried to be very kind and very patient. And I think that pays off for me sometimes. I think people enjoy working with me because don't lose my temper. In exporting, it's kind of a Murphy's Law type of business. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And it does happen. I mean, you have all kinds of things the last second that don't go the way you hope they do and things that you don't have control over. And to stay nice and calm and not get upset and not make everyone upset around you, I think that's been probably something that is good advice to pass on to people. And the other thing that probably has been a tip that I would always encourage someone starting off with businesses is to crawl before you walk and walk before you run. And I did that with this business. It was an unknown to me. I had so much to learn, a huge learning curve. And I started out very small, and I, I learned a lot quickly. But I was very cautious to not move ahead to big shipments until I was ready. And I've seen other exporters not do that. I've seen them jump in head first. And you can really lose yourself financially in this business if you're not careful. There's just so many things that are out of your control. 
and you have to constantly be thinking about if this goes wrong, how can I fix it? And that's what I do the whole time I'm going through my sport is constantly thinking ahead of the game. If this is wrong, how will I take care of this? If that goes wrong, how will I take care of that? And I think that's how I've probably done maybe as well as I have. Is there a lot of competition in this space of the exporting of livestock? And it, and if there is, what does that look like? And how do you differentiate yourself from all of your competitors? Uh, yeah, there is getting to be a lot more competition simply because there are more and more numbers of live animals leaving the country than there were a few years ago. And that's mostly in a situation with cattle. Uh, we've always had a lot of horses sold. Goat sheep, not so much because we're not known as being really large breeders of sheep and goat in this country. Uh, pigs, we have a lot of pigs going, especially to China. Uh, it buys a lot of our pigs. So there's getting to be a bigger, you know, it's a bigger business, so people are more attracted to it. However, I think that once they figure out <laughs> how difficult it is, <laughs> it's not an easy business and it's not for the faint at heart. I think that they, they give it a go and they figure out, oh gosh, no, this is not for me. Or they get in there and like I said, some of those people have jumped in head first and you know, they, they get dollar signs in their eyes and go for some ginormous big shipment and they lose themselves and they just have to clear bankruptcy and the ruin of the rest of their lives because these things can be really financially detrimental. So there's a lot of pitfalls in it, for sure. In the business of shipping this livestock all over the world, you have seen some pretty incredible places. So what have been one of your favorite places that you visited and why? I'm going to have to say probably the one that stands out the most was being in Beijing. I guess that was 2012. It was towards the end of 2012. I was there doing a, a trade show for the U.S. Livestock Exporters Association. I was the secretary and treasurer, and I was representing us at a trade show. And that was not, not so much business-wise in the sense that it was so lovely to get to see some of the beautiful sites in Beijing, the the Summer Palace, the Forbidden City, the Wall. You know, I've been to Europe many times just as a tourist, but to get to see something so incredibly different. But, uh, you know, I just got back from Uzbekistan a few weeks ago, and that was my first trip to one of the former Soviet Union countries, and it was so different and unique. All of these places are so different, but what I always end up finding is that I'm dealing with people in agriculture, and we're kind of a small world. We all kind of seem to talk the same language, even if we have a language barrier. And that's where I end up migrating and going to is farms and, and to people in agriculture, which is what got me into exporting in the first place. So I can't say that any of them are better than the other because they're all very different. And, and I, I meet such nice people along the way. Now, you and your husband are business partners. Can you give us some of the pros and cons of working together? I bet everybody can relate to this one. <laughs> if there are any of you out there that, that do have that kind of uh, husband-wife business working together, we don't work together as tremendously as some people do. Jim helps me when it comes to sourcing animals, especially cattle, because he's he's got some really good contacts within the the cattle industry that go well beyond Florida. We're We're both well-connected in the Florida cattle industry, but he's got some good contacts that go beyond that. So he helps me source cattle, but I think that he's he's not a detail person, so I think he's quite happy to not get involved with the day-to-day -day handling of the details that goes on with handling and export. It's a real detail-oriented type of business, so he's quite happy to let me do that 
and he helps me when I need it. But you know what he does? He runs the ranch more than I do. I let him really manage taking care of our cattle, and he can count on me when it comes to working the cattle or if there's a hole in the fence that needs to be patched or cow that's down that needs to be checked and nursed on or something. These are the things that he can count on me with. I think we complement each other very well. And any challenges that you guys have had through these years of working together? <laughs> oh, yeah. We've, we've you know I'm going to ask that question. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> we've had a few fun sessions in the cow pens. I, I don't ever <laughs> suggest that husband and wives work together in the cow pens. And I think any husband and wife in the cattle business would tell you the same thing. There's been a, there's been a few shouting matches in the cow pens. And fortunately, it's only about a 200 yards away from the house. And I remember stomping home one day saying, well, you get what you pay for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've had a couple of those, Katie, but fortunately, uh, they've been years ago, and, you know, anybody, we've been married, we've been together 20 years now, so <laughs> we're not going far if we stomp away. That's great. I love that. Renee, what have been some of your biggest challenges in this overall experience of you owning these companies? The title searching didn't have too much of a challenge, but this exporting business, I have to be very candid that I still have days, and I, I almost hate to admit this, but I'm going to just actually be very, very honest here. I still have days where I have to swallow and say, come on, you can do this, because it's kind of some, oh, I hate to use the cliche, it's a man's world. I'm in a world where there's there's very few women in this, very few. There's only a few of us in, in the United States that do livestock exporting to begin with, and, and there's only one or two of us that, that are females. And when you do go to other countries, we've got different cultures, and women aren't quite as respected in other cultures. So, yes, I have a challenge. When I got to Oman unloading cattle at the airport, they were doing it in a way that I knew was not going to be efficient or good for the cattle. No one would listen to me. And why? <laughs> because I was a woman. <laughs> so, so there's one of those challenges I face in this business. But most of the people that I deal with, and I'm pretty much almost always dealing with men as clients, once they start talking to me, they realize that I do know what I'm talking about. And, and I, I get the respect I need to get. But still, when you travel to these other countries and we're in the middle of, of getting these animals somewhere, um, yeah, sometimes I, I face that. That's my biggest challenge probably is just a cultural difference. And I guess my follow-up question to that is, what do you do in those moments when you have to rev yourself up to get going again, like when you're just shot down? Like, what do you do? And I think all of us have these days, and it doesn't just matter whether you're male or female, but you do have days where you just really have to kind of gulp and, and swallow it down. And, and it's a fear thing. It's a, you know, it's a fear of failure. It's a fear of what I get myself into or can I do this? And I really have to stop there, and I always go back to these wonderful parents I had. They're the kind of people that raised me to believe you can do anything you put your mind to. And I stop and I do that and visualize hearing my mom say, say that to me and my dad say that to me. And I kind of take a deep breath and I say, I can do this. I can do It's kind of like the, you know, <laughs> like the little train that could. And I do. I really have to sit there and say, you can do this. You can do this. This is okay. And then believe it. And I go forward and I do. And I just do. What have been some of the most rewarding experiences that you've had in this industry? I can remember one quite easily. It was my first large, large deal, which was a 747 plane load of cattle going to the Middle East. And 
there were a heck of a lot of sleep nights that to that trip because it was big and it was big money and it was my first one and it was terrifying inside. I don't think anyone ever would have known that on the outside, but inside I was absolutely terrified. It's like, oh, please don't fail. I've come this far and there's so much money on the line and this plane, believe whether it's got my cows in it or not, it's already paid for. So the plane finally took and it was a Murphy's Law night. We had quite a few things happen that were totally beyond anyone's control. But we did finally take off with the cows, and I was flying that night. And it was this just beautiful feeling that came over me, looking out into the stars on the plane. And I checked my cows, and everybody was quiet and starting to lay down. And it was a lovely sense of accomplishment that I had really done this, that I was flying 200 head of cows, clear from JFK over into the Middle East, and I had done all this on my own, and it was just a beautiful, huge sense of accomplishment that had been years culminating to that point. I'll never forget that feeling, and I actually get it. I think every time I fly one of the 747s full of cattle, I kind of just sit there that evening because it's always nighttime flights, and it's just a lovely feeling like, okay, I did this. Okay, good girl. <laughs> Very nice. I love that. What are some of the biggest successes that your business has had? Well, it would have to be those kind of shipments. And this has been a real gradual, like a site. You know, I definitely crawled before I walked and walked before I ran. And there is still one larger than the plane loads that I'm doing, and that are there are actual shiploads of cattle that have thousands of heads of cattle on them. And that's the next large step, and I'm working on it right now working on actually several deals right now. I'm not, I can't tell you that they'll definitely come to fruition. One's looking to be promising. And so each one of these is an accomplishment. Even the small ones are still accomplishments because I'll tell you, I put the same amount of work into shipping 16 head of cows as I do into 200 head of cows or 2,000 head of cows. I really, it's the same amount of work for me. So they're all gratifying. What's really gratifying is when the person on the other end gets their animals. And I know that I've done everything in my power to make sure that these animals were cared for in the very best way, that they were handled with kids' gloves, that they're the best quality. And when they get to the other side, that they're happy with them, and they are. I've, I've not had anybody unhappy. And then follow up with them and make sure that they, they know how to properly take care of them in case the genetics quite different than what they're used to having in their own country. Have you ever had an experience to where you've done such a great job and you've organized everything and then you get to the location and you meet the person who bought these from you and who you're exporting to and there's just something funky going on on that end and you it's like weird like okay you're either not liking their business practices or they're just they're, like something's off. Have you ever had that experience? I've dealt with one or two clients I can't say I personally like. And it's that's really hard for me because I'm a very personable type of person. I become friends with all my clients, which I like. I think that's good for repeat business, but it's just the kind of person that I am. And that's been mostly the case. But there's been one or two people that I've done business with that I have to sit there and say, Renee, this is just business. Just get the job done and do it to the best of your ability. And it's just business. And that's gotten me through it because there are people that I just don't click with and I know that I'm not getting the respect that I should be given for what I'm doing, especially for the type of job I'm doing for them. 
And so that's happened before. And another instance is <laughs> the situation where if you actually had gone to their farm before you sent them the animals, you probably wouldn't have sent the animal in the first place. At least I wouldn't. I really felt really bad for the animals. And they have survived, and they're still doing fine. But being a female and we're somewhat nurturing, it really bothered me for a while. It's like, I don't know if I'm out for this business because I care too much about these animals. Right. Renee, I really want to close this conversation by asking you, what is your vision for Strickland Ranch and Exports? And what do you see coming up for you? Where do you really want to take this business? And what does that mean for you? Well, I keep plugging along kind of slowly and deliberately. It's a dangerous business with pitfalls. So I think my biggest concern, and this comes from a, a wonderful other gentleman that's somewhat of a mentor for me who really drilled it into me several years ago when I started about how you can just really lose your, your bum on this business, and you can. I mean, I've heard some nightmare stories. There are shiploads of animals that have arrived at docks, a lot of animals dead. And I'm very proud to say that I have an absolutely perfect record because I'm so cautious, so careful about who I do business with, the people I source animals from, and making sure that everything that I send is in top quality shape and condition because they go through a lot of stress to get from point A to point B. They need to be healthy. They need to be able to handle the stress. So those are some things that, that stay in my mind all the time. So I'm not anxious to be the biggest or the best exporter. That's never been my intention and never will be. I think truly what I want to do is I'm ready to jump to the next tier, per se, of going from 747 plane loads to shiploads. And I'm ready for it, and I've got all the right people in place for it. And once I reach that point, it's pretty much the top of the ladder of the business, and hopefully that will happen many times over, just like it has with my plane loads. And if I can just keep doing that kind of business and making good relationships throughout the other parts of the world, that's I'm fine. I'm fine where I'm at. I'd be most happy with that. That's that's what I strive for. Renee, I really want to thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your story with all of our listeners. It's such a fascinating one. And I just really appreciate your candidness about your experience and the particular industry that you're in. I think it's just so interesting. And I, I think no matter what business you're in, you can really take from the story that you said today and really take some of those ideas and the attitude with which you've approached this business and the hard work ethic is really my biggest takeaway from this is that you're just constantly working to be a little bit better, be a little bit better and just gradually do that over time. And I just really, I, you know, really want to congratulate you on your success. And I just want to thank you so much for being willing to share your story today. No, I appreciate it for asking me. And like I said, it's, a, it's an interesting business and it sounds maybe more romantic than it is. It's great to get to hop around the world, but I'm probably like a lot of people. A lot of times when you're sitting in another country, you really just want to be at home. <laughs> so, so it might sound more romantic, but it's a very challenging business. But it is a fascinating business, and it's pretty cool to get to meet people from all over the world that share the same love for, for livestock and animals and agriculture that my husband and I share. So it's been a very rewarding business in that sense. I've got literally friends all over the world, and that's not something everybody can say. So. Um, I enjoy what I do. It's I do enjoy a challenge, and I certainly picked a good business for that. But it's kind of nice to be able to share the story with, with some of the listeners because it's probably not something they, they hear about every day. So thanks for having me, Katie. I appreciate it. 
here's why I absolutely adored that conversation with Renee. Number one, she was incredibly candid and open. I mean, I felt like at times that she was really telling me things that she hasn't really had a chance to talk about or really would normally speak about and how kind of her to really share with us what her business is truly like. It was no secret that it's really a challenge and that there's a lot of details to orchestrate. But what really came out of that and what really shone through was just how hard of a worker she is. And I really took from that because it just, for me, it really touched me in the sense that, you know, there are moments in business where it's just really hard and there's so many things to keep up, so many balls to to make sure you're managing. And, um, and you just got to keep working through it. And uh, I loved her comment about crawl before you walk, walk before you run. I thought that was brilliant. That really meant a lot to me because I think that um, as most super high achiever people are like myself and I want to like have it all right now and I want it to be great and grand and perfect. (laughs) It was wonderful because it just really reiterated the fact that, you know, just baby steps at a time builds great businesses, builds great experiences. So that was awesome. Remember that you can go and see all the show notes for this interview with Renee at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 32. I really want to thank you so much for coming by and listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.